We are recording? Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So, oh, God. Hello and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community, brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media, and made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I'm your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, and other host, Amy Board, reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. On today's show, happy Black Friday for those listening in real time. We've got Gene Therapy Roundtable takeaways from the recent WFH hosted event that I attended. Which we stuff to deliver. Really, like we really prepped last episode. So those of you that are with us, like on the journey, ready for it. Today's that day. We also have uh, gratitudes. Amy and I are going to share some of the things we're grateful for, and we're going to hear from some of the members of the Bloodstream and Greater Believe Limited team in the spirit of Black Friday. What y'all grateful for? That's coming up, as well as Let's Talk, the latest with Joshua Sterling Bragg made possible by Sanofi, this time focusing on dating and relationships. That's (laughs) not a loaded topic (laughs) No, not at all. Not at all. We've got all that and more on today's episode. Welcome to Bloodstream. Hey, listeners, as always, thank you for joining Patrick and me on Bloodstream. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button wherever hit you... <laughs> hit Hit it. What did I say? You said hit that subscribe button. Oh, okay. Oh, my God. And now I have just decided as though I have like a mild form of Tourette's, <laughs> like I have to jump in to repeat the action word. Oh, I thought, I thought you were correcting me. I thought I said something weird. No, I've thrown you into a panic totally okay. unnecessarily. Okay, I've added great. minimal value to the copy, but okay. I have certainly interrupted the show. But you know what's great is I bet people like it's now sunk in that they should hit that subscribe button. Hit it. Wherever you listen to podcasts and follow Bloodstream Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter for updates on new episode releases. I also want to remind you, dear listeners, that the Bloodstream Podcast is indeed made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Takeda. Yes, that's right. Takeda. Takeda. <laughs> Takeda's got this website, bleedingdisorders.com, oh. where you You can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds. Me too! Hey, hey! And Amy, so do I. And Takeda's dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey, wherever on that journey they may be. You can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. One more time and a little bit slower. That's bleedingdisorders.com. And once again, for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream Podcast, I would just like to say thanks, Takeda. Thanks, Takeda. All right, Amy Board. PJL, you spoke for 90 minutes this weekend. Sure did. At an event. Sure did. Which, like, I, I'm going to be, like, I know you. I, I know you could probably talk <laughs> for 90 minutes. But, like, still, that's, that is some time. It is a bit of time. How'd it go? Did you? Finish? Yeah. I did. I did. I filled the time. Uh, only had two minutes of videos as well. You know, when I first accepted this, I, I figured, you know, I'm going to show various videos. So that right there, that's going to chew 10, 12, 15 minutes. You know, I had an intro video that started before I even opened my mouth. And oh. That was a minute. And then I had the teaser for Stop the Bleeding, yeah. our latest season, by the way, now out. Check it out. stbhemo.com. Focus on Von Willebrand disease and, and Magical Twins. Amazing. It's so good. Please it's a lot check of fun. It out. So I played that. So that was it. Otherwise, it was uh, 88 minutes of me talking. Um <laughs> But it went very well. I mean, I put a lot of time into like the story of it because while yeah. I've done so many presenting, I've done stuff. I've not told. I've never done this. I never told this story this way. This was a first. Right. So trying to get the things in order and make sure that I could be fluid enough that I wasn't just reading, but also it's a lot of me talking. So I got to make sure I've got all of my notes and, and it's a lot of personal stuff and emotional stuff. And it's the first time. It's not my bones. 
So there was definitely glancing at the clock and trying to make sure. At a certain point, though, I did realize, oh, I've got a lot of story left. And there's only like 20 minutes, including Q&A. <laughs> so there was a certain point at which it was like, okay, now we got to speed this up. So then like the me on uh, caffeine version of <laughs> the story came out. But it went very, very well. I felt validated for the approach that I took. It was a lot of personal stories centered around camp and theater and the arts and my family of origin and how hemophilia isn't just a musculoskeletal impacting disorder or disease, but all the ways in which it sort of plays into the dynamics in the house and in school and in, in dreams of oneself. And yeah. then how, oh, I'm healthier. My dreams have changed. Yeah. New obstacles. Dreams change again. And great feedback from the people there. I also want to shout out the Mayo Clinic. It was their HTC's event. And there were families there affected by heme, heme B. VWD, factor seven deficiency, fibrin deficiencies, platelet deficiencies. It wasn't a huge group, but within the group, the, the few dozen families that were there, yeah. there was quite, that I learned about, there was quite a representation of the greater bleeding disorders community, which was very cool. So it was a very successful event. Thanks for asking. That's so wonderful. Yeah. I'm happy you survived. When you told me it was 90 minutes, I worried. <laughs> you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a bit of time. It's a bit of time. But people stayed awake, and so did I. Which is a huge win. I do have some, I might get in trouble. Oh. But there is something that happened that didn't happen, but I kind of wish had happened. Oh, right. But then I brought it up to Natalie, and she was like, I, I think it's good that didn't happen. And okay. I was like, I don't know if I agree with you. Okay. <laughs> so, Amy, Friday night when right? I get there, there's like the, the thing was on Saturday. Friday, there's the opening announcement and then eventually an icebreaker game. For the icebreaker game, four people with laminated signs stood in the four corners of the room. Okay. First question, if you could be any superhero for a day, who would you be? And there was Thor and there was Wonder Woman and there was Iron Man and there was Superman. And I was like, this is a layup. The answer is Superman because one, the Wonder Woman section is going to be way too full. And two, Superman's from another planet. Thor could take or leave Iron Man cool suit but that's a human being I'm gonna be Superman so it was like kind of stuff like that yeah and then it was where do you want to live ocean mountains and I was like ocean dolphin animal and okay. then food pizza fun fact <laughs> I didn't move my person was the same I was like you were just my homie I'm hanging right here I'm here with so the thing I thought about as they were reading my bio Saturday morning I was like oh I'm gonna get up there and introduce myself and say hello my name is Patrick James Lynch as has been said my pronouns are ocean, dolphin, pizza, Superman, and it's a pleasure to be with you all today. I thought that would have been pretty funny when, yeah. I, when, it, when it flew through my head yeah. to say my pronouns are the four things yeah. from the icebreaker game. Yeah. Natalie told me it might be insensitive, and she's like, I'm kind of glad you didn't make that joke because that could be looked at mocking something that's sensitive and, and what have you. Okay. And I went, agree to disagree, and it's very late. We'll talk about it later. And we haven't <laughs> talked about it yet, so now I'm bringing it up on the mic. Here's what I would like to say. Okay. I do think it's very important that for those of us who have opportunities to stand in front of groups of people, yes, wherever they may be, in this case, Minnesota, from all <laughs> out throughout rural Minnesota and North Dakota, and I don't talk to people from Minnesota and North Dakota all the time. I don't know how often they're talking about pronouns in Minnesota and North Dakota, and I do believe it's an important topic, just like I think bleeding disorders are important, and when I made right. Stop the Bleeding and people said it's too comedic, it needs a different thing, I was like, no, you just don't get it. Right. So I wasn't mocking pronouns. I was riffing on the fact that we played a little like how do you identify yourself game the night before that I participated in. And so communally wanted to reflect that, shout out the game and acknowledge what my four categories were, while also subtly reminding people that the way in which we identify ourselves is, in fact, an important part of being in a society. Right. So I think it was actually a missed opportunity, frankly, that I just by the time I stood up there, I didn't like hang on to the joke. I just let it go and it didn't come back to me and we moved on. 
But I kind of wanted to call it back because I do think as like leaders and advocates and presenters and activists and people trying to make a difference in the world, there are these little moments that come up mm -hmm. and you haven't, you could go like, you know, this way or that way. And do you go this way or that way? Do you, mm -hmm. do, you, do, you do the thing that might be like a little bit risky or a little bit boundary pushing, a little bit innovative, but maybe necessary? Mm -hmm. Or do you take the safer road? So again, this is about something that did not happen. But this discussion with Natalie, I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. And I just wanted to bring it up here. I'm curious, listeners, you're welcome. You know, mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com, social media. But Amy, I'm curious to hear your take, too. Well, I'm not, you know, pronouns are not sensitive for me. So I can't I can't speak to that. However, I do think the joke of saying I'm Superman, Dolphin, Ocean, Pizza, like maybe there could have been another identifying thing. I think that is very funny. And like that would have brought everyone in the room together. It's obviously, you know, something about personality and types and your own or whatever i do think it's hysterical that you're in the same corner the entire time what did that mean that that i won i think that is so funny to me like did they have personality types like i would have loved if that was like a, a very distinct personality type and oh, like you were like i and think I don't, it was random i do too i don't i don't think it was i don't know who the dolphin pizza of, superman ocean i don't know but i wish it said something deeper about who you are i'll tell you what did say something we had a good crowd for ocean like we were a good group we were like vibing on oceans we were citing different oceans we've been to and what we like about the ocean you know and i was like this is fun and then we did animals yeah all these people flocked over to the fox they oh. went to, to the owl and i was fox, like owl yo ocean people there's dolphin on the list well dolphin is cerebral what was the what was the fourth animal Ugh. Uh, I don't fox owl, I don't remember. Like I don't a cat, remember. it had to be in a cat. Like a Me, well, I guess uh, fox is kind of like, maybe. It's not really. But if you're an ocean person, how you how you leave in the corner when <laughs> when lady puts dolphin up there? You're like, let me check out the owls. It's like you're over in the ocean section. What yeah, are you but doing? Owls are really cool. I have one tattooed on my body. I I agree. <laughs> They're such cool birds of prey. I couldn't agree more. Anyway. So I told you I was going to get us <laughs> off track. One other thing, Amy, I want to touch on before we jump into, yeah. you know, what we were, told people we were going to talk about today. You know, we haven't acknowledged this. We've been doing the Bloodstream podcast since the summer of 2016. Crazy. So, you know, it's been around for a minute. We're moving yeah, into yeah. 2023. Um I never want to take it for granted. I don't think we do. And I think we shout out to Cada for being our founding and ongoing presenting sponsor all the time, our advertisers and supporters and segment sponsors. I don't think we take it for granted. But I do want to let the audience know it's never a guarantee year to year that like we're going to keep going. So we've just been operating that way. And as of this moment, have every intention and every reason to believe we are going to continue to keep going and find the support to keep going. Yes. But we don't know that for certain. Right. And we are going to just keep you updated. So we, it's not something we bring up. And I don't think it's like a topic to regularly bring up, like, you know, the, the, the long-term sustainability and growth trajectory of the podcast. Like, that's not a topic for the show itself. Yeah. But I do think out of respect to you all, as our listeners, it's important to let you in on where we are, that we are planning our next year. We are very excited about our next, next year and having great conversations with the companies who you do here support this show. And we will keep you posted when we have things confirmed and can say with gusto that Bloodstream 2023 is full steam ahead. Yes! We love that. And moving into our next topic, because this is a perfect spot to talk about this and mm. to have like an opportunity on Bloodstream to be able to just chat about this. PJL, I want to ask you about the Gene Therapy Roundtable and what were your takeaways? We can kind of set the scene a little bit. It was at WFH, which is really cool, back in Montreal, which is legitimate. But what came out of that whole thing with Gene Therapy? And to answer that, we will now cut forward in time to a segment I'm going to record later this week after... The roundtable has taken place. So listeners, through the power and magic of editing, you will now hear the response to Amy's question. 
Okay, Bloodstream listeners, it is 5.53. How do you like that for precision? PM, Eastern Standard Time, November 17th. I'm recording this at the end of day one of WFH, the World Federation of Hemophilia's fifth Gene Therapy Roundtable in Montreal. It's about 50 or so in-person participants, and then another looked like maybe between 15 and 20 online participants. There were seven, six, six sessions today, as well as a kickoff. So I'm going to give you an overview of today, some of my top takeaways I am recording this after today and not after tomorrow when the whole thing culminates. One, because I'm immediately flying back home. And two, in order to get this material into our Black Friday, November 25th episode, I needed to deliver it in time. If there's anything that comes up tomorrow that I find to be particularly of interest, I will make sure to bring that up in dialogue with Amy when we're back in studio for the episode coming up in the beginning of December. So there were six sessions that were held today following a, a group breakfast and a welcome. There was a gene therapy update. There was a session on science by press release, a safety session, a variability and durability session, a regulatory perspective session, and an informed consent shared decision-making session before a day one wrap-up. Each session ran for about 75 minutes and for the most part featured three at 1.4 presenters, followed by a discussion at the end of each of the sessions. My single biggest takeaway from today was the need for activation by clinicians, scientists, patients, in disseminating accurate and helpful information, in educating selves on some of the complexities of considering gene therapy as a treatment option if you're a patient, and on educating yourself so that you can help your patients best navigate the complex decision of whether or not gene therapy may be right for you at this stage in time in the clinics. But there's three in particular things I want to highlight. The first is on the topic of approvals. There was a very interesting discussion at the end of a presentation on the regulatory perspective during which Andrea Laslup, the head of scientific office for the Austrian Agency for Health and Food Safety, spoke on behalf of, or actually she was very clear, she spoke from her own expertise and personal experience, but she helped provide insights on the European Medicines Agency's process. As listeners to this podcast likely know, the EMA recently gave conditional approval to Valrox, the Biomarin Gene Therapy for Hemophilia A. What I found most interesting was the discussion afterwards that involved Dr. Cedric Erman from Belgium, Professor Mike Macris from Sheffield, Len Valentino from here in the U.S., and some others, they were talking about whether or not the EMA's conditional approval was premature, given that as presentation after presentation touched on in some way that there are still so many unanswered questions about gene therapy, particularly related to long-term safety, efficacy, and durability. And particularly, yet again, when it comes to hemophilia A versus hemophilia B. So this discussion I found quite interesting. One of the responses that Andrea gave about the EMA's decision to conditionally approve, and it was later clarified by the by, that this conditional approval, it's much like the fast-tracked approval process that we have here with the FDA in the United States. It is similar, and it is currently the kind of approval that we're seeing for any gene therapy in Europe. So it's not something that is particular to hemophilia gene therapies, and it is not necessarily a comment on the phase, the confidence in the positive data. It's a little bit more complex than that. But basically, 
there was a question about how at the, a previous meeting like this, there was, a, there was a discussion about, is there a level of factor expression that is being looked at as the go, no go? If it's this number or higher over a sustained period of time, we're going to approve it. And if it's not, we are not going to. Andrea did acknowledge that a 5% level is the percent at which a patient who was previously severe would now be categorized as mild. And from their opinion, that was a, a major medical advancement and was helping to address a major unmet need. And therefore, on that grounds, that was a strong point in favor of approving, conditionally approving Valrox in Europe for people with hemophilia A. Professor Macris responded, noting that while the EMA may cite something like meeting a major unmet need and how for many gene therapy products being developed, uh, there's no other product and they are indeed meeting a major unmet need, he used the number 40 and cited there are 40 products to treat hemophilia. So he acknowledged that he did not necessarily share the EMA's perspective on what made meeting a major unmet need was. Andrea repeatedly acknowledged from those questioning her about the EMA's decision, in a collegial appropriate way I should highlight, that she was very empathetic to the points being made and referred to this as a borderline case, but then went on to expand and say, and because it's borderline and it has, we've, we've you know, reached that 5% mark, essentially the, the thought boiled down to, we would like to make this now available for patients and doctors to be able to discuss as a potential option and not be a barrier to that. And I thought this point was particularly important. Many of the questions we don't yet have answers to, it's not as though we'll get those answers momentarily. We need years more follow-on data to have some of those questions answered. And I think there's plenty of questions. We don't know how long it'll be before we have them answered. So her point was as well, if we are to say no, then how many years go by before this comes back up? And how many patients do not have this as a potential option in that time? So it was a, that was a, one of the best moments of today, and which is why I'm leading with it as a highlight, because there was nice complexity that was being brought into this discussion about whether or not the timing here and the information to support the decision was all as robust and vigorous and appropriate as could be. So that approvals process from a regulatory perspective, really appreciated that. Safety. Really strong presentations on safety, and in particular, this, this thing around elevated ALT levels. So I don't want to, I'm not a scientist, y'all know that. I'm not a doctor, I am a patient, I'm doing my best to relay what I understand to the greater people listening to this podcast. I strongly encourage you, follow up and do your own research with the things you're interested in. I'm going to do my best to succinctly describe this safety thing around ALT. So these refer to elevated levels that traditionally indicate that there is some kind of tissue damage, liver damage. It was being brought up in these presentations, however, that within the context of gene therapy, this is not so much the concern that these elevated levels are suggestive of damage, but the concern is actually around how these elevated levels dampen the efficacy of the gene therapeutic. So we don't see as much factor expression until steroids are introduced. And then of course, steroids come with some long-term considerations and questions around safety and, and what have you. So I found that point interesting, but a little while later, Glenn called that point back and highlighted how back in the 1970s, going back to Carol Casper's research, we had major, major concerns around elevated ALT levels as indicative of damage, tissue organ damage. And he cited, lest we forget, reminding us of our past in the blood contamination crisis when we did not want to pay enough vigorous attention to complicated areas of decision-making, 
that we cannot repeat that here by simply deciding because we don't understand enough about what is causing the underlying elevation of these ALT levels to dismiss it as benign. There is something causing them that we don't fully understand and to dismiss it as benign is missing crucial information. I was very appreciative, and in fact, I called that point back at the end of the day because I want to hear more discussion around that. To be honest, I didn't hear enough people speaking up in support of Glenn's point nor countering it. So that's an area I'm interested to hear more about. Wow, how am I already coming up on 10 minutes doing this recap? I, I, this is like how the whole day went. It was just all, We were just constantly, how are we all, already out of time? All right, so I guess uh, I'll, I'll go quickly here. The one other thing I wanted to highlight in, for sure was the Science by Press release session. Tim Caulfield is somebody I just learned about, interesting character. And by interesting character, I mean he's doing great work when it comes to misinformation and platforms whereby people get their health information and misinformation and the impact of misinformation. Really interesting guy. He, along with Cedric Hermans from Belgium and Professor Mike Macris, these were the three presenters of this, this session that I chaired. Very animated session and speaking about why it is that we tend to have these press releases at times come out with information about study data before there's any peer-reviewed article that is published and then, you know, the, the social media dissemination of information and how that can also further muddy things or confuse things if, if you don't challenge the misinformation or incomplete information directly. So this was the first time, as I understand it, this is my first of these five, this is the fifth meeting of Gene Therapy Roundtable from the WFH, my first, and the first time that this topic was presented. I think in direct response, to be quite frank, there was a press release from Biomarin earlier this year, and there were some folks at the WFH who quite clearly did not like the fact that certain data appeared for the first time in a company-driven press release rather than published in a peer-reviewed article. Part of the session did go through why does these things happen? And, you know, to try to be succinct about it, there are reasonable logistics that result in these kinds of things happening. So I think continuing to discuss how we can maybe align a little bit better when there's new information that is very highly anticipated by the community around either a new therapy or an advancement or evolution of that therapy, maybe a little bit more alignment from pharma, nonprofits, patient leaders, et cetera, on how that information is, the clinical leaders, how that information is disseminated. Okay, got five last quick points I'm going to hit before we say goodbye. Shared decision-making. Declan Noon from Ireland made a great point that in the real world, the shared decision-making process between a patient and a doctor about the right treatment option or regimen at least has the benefit of trial info. Ultimately, it really, it, it all comes down to that individual patient in that moment, whether something is going to work for that person or not. And there's variability. But if there's trial data, if there is some real-world data, if something's been out for a little while, all of that is informative to the decision in the clinic in that moment. But if someone is thinking about enrolling in a gene therapy clinical trial or any clinical trial, you don't necessarily have that information to support the shared decision-making process. So you're flying blind a little bit more than if you're deciding upon something that's actually available in the real world, so to speak. I thought that was an interesting point. Registry. Andrea, I mentioned her earlier, she stated that patients are expected to enroll in a registry, which we've heard plenty about, but I had not heard anyone say for how long until she mentioned 15 years to substantiate long-term safety and efficacy data. That's a long time. Like, that's mortgage long. That's longer than most, like, my dog might not be along. I hope, I hope Russell's alive that long. But 15 years is a long time. Is it reasonable for us to expect that patients are going to stay true to the commitments that they make to these registries for over 15 years and the follow-up that's necessary? I haven't heard enough comments about that. 
Regulation. We had a representative from the FDA who mentioned that amongst the final guidance documents to create that are created to provide a gene therapy framework at the FDA, th there were three that he put up on the screen. One that was on human gene therapy in renal diseases, human gene therapy in rare diseases, and human gene therapy in hemophilia. I found it a little comforting to know that the FDA is very specifically considering gene therapy for hemophilia. This rep also made the point that approval and commercialization in high-income countries could provide low- and middle-income countries the framework needed to make the treatments ultimately accessible in those areas as well. Lastly, immune response. An immune response to a gene therapy can be triggered by the agent itself, as well as by the capsid, which is kind of interesting. So the therapeutic itself or the actual AAV capsid, either of those could be the trigger for an immune response. And perhaps we actually need a immune response in order to build initial tolerance based on some findings of the Freeline study. The Freeline study was a program, I think for hemophilia A, I'm not looking at my notes in the moment, so forgive me if that's wrong. But it's also worth noting, as of two days ago, that Freeline program has shut down most likely as a result of safety concerns, although that is not yet known. That'll do it for me. Thanks for listening. If you're interested, go check out the WFH and their resources on gene therapy. And as mentioned, if there's anything that comes out of either tonight's dinner or the sessions tomorrow that feels really, really pertinent, I'll make sure to bring it up on the next episode. Oh, Bloodstream listeners. So Thanksgiving was yesterday. So we thought we would take some time here on Bloodstream to kind of talk about what we are grateful for in this year of two, 2022. 2022. I, I almost two, said 2023, which is not. Zero. You're ready. You're just ready. You're like, let's keep it moving. It's not. <laughs> but I thought this would be really lovely about like, we decided to like not go overboard. We have no, three, three. three chances. Yeah. Not a top 10 list of top 10 lists of top 10. <laughs> Which we've done before. Just... Anyway, thanks for being with us, everybody. We're grateful for you. We are grateful for you. Number one. Number uno, we're grateful for y'all. That is true. That's our shared one. And that is very true. Well, I'll share that my, my first personal one. And man, it feels kind of like cheesy, but I just got to lean in because gratitude, I think that's one of the things that sometimes prevents yes. me from expressing it is yes. feeling as though I'm going to like be cheesy or come off yes. as cheesy or insincere and... That's silly talk. So my first one is I, I'm grateful for all the people who believe in me from my wife to my colleagues and our employees here at Believe, our clients, our sponsors, grantors, investors, underwriters, other partners, audience members, community members, the loan officers and the banking reps who give me loans <laughs> or rework deals as needed. You know, starting and growing a mission-driven small business over 10 years that's included a global pandemic, major economic pullback, like not easy stuff. And none of it is possible without earning people's trust and rallying them behind a vision. So thank you to everyone who believes in me and believes in the vision of what we're trying to do at Bloodstream Media and Believe Limited. And I intend to continue to prove worthy of your trust and belief. And I predict, Amy Board, that 2023 will be the most gangbusters year for Bloodstream Media and Believe Limited to date. You heard it here first. Here, here. I agree. I, it's going to be hard to top this year. This year was incredible. Well, you know, set the higher bar. I know. I um, That was wonderful. Thank you. And it's a perfect segue to my first one because I think one of the things I am most grateful for was just a handful of some of the things that I got to work on here at Believe and here at Bloodstream Media this year. We did we did good things, wonderful things, but I think it was, and I, I know everyone listening agrees with me that have 
been able to be out there at chapter events or um, a national event to get back in the same room with our community members, it just was so needed and it was lovely. And I think one of the opportunities that I had this year with Believe Limited is I got to work on our science fair, which it was at the live science fair was at the BDC at NHF in August. And it's, you know, this huge, you know, kind of like a middle school science fair on steroids. But I was lucky enough this year to have that, you know, project kind of tossed down to me in terms of writing some new things. And it it grew my appreciation. I think of the science of bleeding disorders. It grew my ability to take very complicated things and try to write it in a way that someone who is um, six years old all the way up to, you know, some of our clinicians that went through the science fair, they were like, this is a really wonderful way to teach the science of bleeding disorders just from a basic, you know, protein by protein level. And it was just lovely. It was it was wonderful. It was wonderful to see the people go through. It was it was really fun to see something that you had in your head come to fruition. It was it felt like magic in the exhibit hall. And I'm very excited to say that it is going to be back at BDC in 2023. So if you're heading to NHF BDC next year or thinking about it, you'll be able to experience a science fair. And we are also creating a road show. We're creating <laughs> a downsized version of We're it. like a band. We are. We're like a band. I'm going to be like a science fair groupie. And uh, we're going to hit some organizational and chapter events throughout the country next year. And so it was just lovely. It it was just a lovely thing and very rare that you get an opportunity like that where you work so hard on something, where something has been, you've come, you've like knocked into so many barriers, you thought Mm -hmm. you can't do it. I mean, it really... There were many times where I thought I wasn't going to be pushed through. It was hard. It was a hard thing. It was a hard thing to write. It was a hard thing to put together. And to be there and to see it come to fruition as magical as it was and as impactful as it was. I mean, it really... I mean, to watch those kids go through, and I know I they know. were just playing, but it was like some of that stuff. I know, but watch the really video. I, I think, you know, the video from the BDC yeah. and especially the kids, but everybody who participated, you see as they share what they're sharing. It's not just what they're saying. It's yeah. how they're saying it. It's yeah. the energy. It's the twinkle yeah. in their eye. It's the yeah. excitement. You gather. You do not hear that coming out yeah. of patient meetings yeah. with all due respect like the BDC or like Symposium, you don't hear that kind of enthusiasm unless it's about, we're about to go to Disney, we're about to go to the blah, 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 blah. Not we just went to the science fair in the exhibit hall. Like, so I think that's a huge win. So congratulations. And that's a huge 2022 win for for us, but for you in particular too. Yeah. Right back at you, PJL. I am grateful for the option to now adjust your preference for conversation and environment in rideshare. And the reason is because I have noticed as someone who has taken more rideshare this year than in the last number of years between COVID and having a car more often, <laughs> you know, there are some drivers who just believe that the uh, the Uber Lyft rideshare experience is really a social experience. <laughs> and I don't view it that way. I view it like a taxi on I demand. Do I do too. I'm just trying to get from point A to point B. I do too. Not I trying to make a friend. It. Nope. Not, don't need a buddy. Nope. And I'm in these Ubers too often, 45 minutes, an yeah. hour. And here in Los Angeles, as yeah. those in Los Angeles know, Everybody's working on a screenplay. Everybody's working on a podcast. Everybody's either just started or is about to start their own production of something or other. And you just have to like be in the car and you have to listen. But now there's the little thing and you can go, oh, I like it quiet. (gasps) I like it quiet. And can you put the air on, please? 
please. And you can just do it in the app. I don't even have to talk to you. You just do it in the app. So I would like to thank the innovators who accomplished that for us over the last few years and put that into the app. I'd also like to maybe same people, maybe different people, the innovators who added contact-free delivery and decided even post-pandemic, we're keeping that. I just need the vegetarian burrito. I don't need to say hi to Cecilia. Yes. I will tip her. She's yes. probably lovely, but I'm just looking for the brown bag she's leaving behind. I'm I not... bet Cecilia likes that too. I would imagine. I haven't asked her because guess what? I haven't actually interacted with Never her. Never interacted with Cecilia. So I'd like to thank all the developers who have yes. just made these apps more convenient, for, easier for us to for get from introverts. point A to point B, <laughs> or for things from point B to get to us at point A, for we introverts who would, who would prefer less communication through the process. I am grateful to each and every one of you. Hear, hear! Thank you. <laughs> Listeners, I am grateful that this year, in the year of 2022, I finally officially converted my fish listening tool listening sublime listening younger brother into a full-blown swifty wow and i it's like extremely stuck hmm. and he's going through a personal time right now oh tell us everything and he was very sweet when her new album came out and he's like okay i'm gonna listen to it just to be like oh, just courtesy. to be you know nice to you and hmm. then i got a text like 15 minutes later being like this is really good wow it's really dark I'm like, yeah and then he goes like two days after what album should I listen to next? Should I listen to Red, which is for sure like her biggest, you know, like heartbreak album. But also like she wrote it when she was like 21. So it's like, OK, yeah. like, yeah, listen to Red. I, I I guess he loves it. Wow. Takes the songs around. He's an ICU nurse and takes it around on his shift and like plays it for people. Like, listen to this. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. He's he's just roaming the hospital yeah, as a nurse like, being like, guys, yeah, Taylor Swift. Have you no, heard of her? Yeah, Up and he's comer. like, have you listened to these lyrics? Like, he plays them. Then he sent me a screenshot. <laughs> he just sent me a <laughs> screenshot. <laughs> okay. That he sent his director of the entire ICU, what? he had to send her an annual tuberculosis test because he's a nurse, you know. Okay. So he sends her the results, but he goes, <laughs> he goes, please take note that the other tab open is for Taylor Swift tickets. This day is between you and I. Wow. This has got that. I did not expect this to go where it went. How so, are you like processing this? This is a lot for you, I'm sure. Well, he really wants. So Taylor Swift is going on tour next year, and I, for one, am going. Oh, I would imagine. Uh, haven't gotten tickets yet. That's tomorrow. Everyone say a prayer. But he really wants to go, which is lovely because I went to three fish shows just to be nice to him, which was. 100 that's a whole other story and we'll get into that later okay but he very much was like i want to do this for you hmm. which i thought great but like you know you want you want to go you want to be there with like pure-hearted swifties like you don't you know it's like yeah. a thing yeah no, I so i was kind of like okay and then he really started getting into it and then like now he's quoting me the lyrics you know he like texts me lyrics and now he's really excited about it so now i think it might be like the greatest thing ever you almost seem like you don't know what to do with this i don't i don't i and he's genuine he's anyway which this furthers my stance that taylor swift is for all okay <laughs> i will admit that over the course of that story before you got to the part where he's lobbying the hospital to like i don't know <laughs> hire taylor i'm not sure but before you got to that i did have a moment where i was like oh man i see a future i'm gonna be in some hotel room in indiana or somewhere and i'm gonna be like i can't listen to any more like drake right now and, <laughs> 
you know, we're boycotting Kanye. And uh, <laughs> let me listen to a little Taylor. And then 15 minutes later, having my phone with like a couple of words and a text to you and being like, don't do it, don't do it. But then wanting to text you and saying, no, don't do it, don't do it. Here's, here's, I think that's going to happen. It's 100% going to happen because mark my words, and I'm pointing to Keith as well because I know Keith is like, yeah, whatever. One day you guys are going to be in a specific emotional state. And I don't know, I don't know what the state is going to be. She is so serious but right now. some Taylor Swift song She's is going to speak to you. Very directly. And the person that you text is going to be me. <laughs> I think she's right about all of this, too. Um, I have nothing else to say about this other than you Grateful. are probably right. Grateful. This year, this year of 2022, <laughs> I have turned my fish listening brother into a Swiftie. Ah, well done, Amy Board. Well, I will share that my third gratitude for 2022. Very dramatic. <laughs> you know, that thing I did this past weekend, the story gave me a chance to reflect a bit more on, on my story and, and the people in it, and my grandmother in particular. Um, I lost my grandmother in 2006, so she's been, you know, off the train now for a little while. But I am grateful that I grew up with a parent, which is what she was to me, who valued imagination, mm. emotion, and expression. When I would hear from others, you know, oh, you're you're too dramatic or you just need to calm down or you're a little too emotional about that, my grandmother was curious. She'd ask questions. She'd encourage me to find more language. She'd encourage me to, to just try to refine my expression rather than telling me in some way, shape, or form, or at least how I would receive those other comments, like, you're wrong in some mm. way. And it not only helped me personally feel like, oh, okay, I'm, there's people like me in this world mm. who operate like I operate and understand what this is. But it informed my work and, and how I chose the arts and like how to make art and commerce connect. And it now informs how I parent mm. because I think about the ways I want Vivian to remember me. And, you know, she doesn't care if I'm out at work and like earning a dollar. Like she doesn't care about that. I need to make sure I'm making her laugh every day. Yeah. I need to make sure I'm encouraging her to be silly every day. Yeah. You know, I, I need to make sure that I'm passing down those values. That is an intentional choice. It's not something that will just I'd like to think it organically happens because it's in my spirit. It's in who I am. Yeah. But if I'm having a, you know, a wah wah day or whatnot, I need to be able to check that and turn on the part where I, I've been helping my daughter yeah. appreciate the value of imagination, emotion and expression. So I have this refreshed gratitude for my grandmother. So to Irene Adele Carroll, thank oh. you. And I am grateful for everything that you gave to my brother and I, but in particular, the value of imagination, emotion, and expression. Oh, I love that. That's wonderful. And so rare, I think, to put words to how someone interacted with you as a, as a child, like helped mm -hmm. kind of steward some of those things and what you respond to best. So... Bravo to you. I love that. Thank you, Amy Board. So I love that. We'll hear from our staff in, in just a moment. Before we get to that, though, give us your third and final gratitude for 2022. I am. I got engaged this year, as you all know, and so I'd get in trouble if I didn't mention it in my gratitudes. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but uh, just to... Just to, you know, put a little like cherry on top. I'm very grateful for that. It's it's been such a wonderful gift to have to have found Rob and to be in a place where, you know, I would have been able to receive that love from him and to 
learn kind of how to get out of myself in order to be heard by him. And, you know, some of you know this, some of you don't. I was very single <laughs> for 38 very years. Very single. <laughs> very single. I have like, follow-up questions, but I'll hold them for yeah, now. Yeah, I was not a relationship girl. I was much more comfortable being independent. And so I was 38 when Rob and I started dating. And I think many people thought that maybe it just wouldn't, you know, happen for me. I did, I did too. And, you know, kind of had to, you know, wrestle through that of, of, trying to find that balance of still wanting it but not letting it darken everything and to know that you'd be okay alone and it's just been a really lovely gift kind of here in the middle of my life however my life will go and I'm very grateful that I found someone not only who has helped me learn more about myself and you know has really drawn a lot of my you know stuff out into the open in really lovely ways but such a wonderful friend that I genuinely just he's the greatest thing to go home to and to watch tv and he's the greatest thing in the, in the whole wide world so I have to I have to say that or I'd get in trouble <laughs> now do you have people this holiday season who you have not yet seen since the engagement and will like have those moments with 100 percent yeah all of our family haven't we haven't seen it. So we're we're able to spend holidays with both families, both Rob's in Virginia and mine, which is lovely. You know, we're not going to be able to do that every year. So we're excited that we're able to do that. And so everyone's going to be excited. And Rob's sister's pregnant. So it's going to be kind of, I don't know, it's going to be like a dreamy little, hopefully, holiday, holiday season with the fams. So your homework. And my brother's a Swifty. <laughs> and your brother's a Swifty. <laughs> In the background of all of this. So your homework is the the three to five like silliest, goofiest, weirdest little moments that will inevitably happen yes. because it's family and holidays and there's an engagement and there's yes. things going on. We're going to need to hear about them here yes. on Bloodstream. So on maybe in January, if you can report back okay. on how those interactions went, okay. would be very, very – at least I'm interested. I don't no. know. I, I'm going to assume listeners would be interested for too. For sure. But for sure. Otherwise, you just got to come by my office and tell me we'll just gossip. <laughs> All right, now let's hear from some of the other Bloodstream Media hosts and team members and other members of the staff here at Believe Limited for their gratitudes in 2022. Hi, this is Jessica Richmond, or Jay Rich, co-host of Flow Straight Talk about extreme periods. And I am most thankful for my co-host, Sarah Watson, sex therapist, monthly meeting with Sarah in pursuit of conversation to normalize menstruation, conversation around extreme menstrual experience, conversation around reproductive health and reproductive rights has been a grounding experience throughout my year. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Flo. Thank you, Bloodstream Media. And good night, Moon. What's up, everybody? This is Amar Zaidi, Dr. Z, co-host of Cheat Codes, a sickle cell podcast. Man, this year I'm thankful for a lot of things, but mostly I'm thankful for the patients. I'm thankful for that group of sickle cell patients that, um, you know, tunes in, listens to us every week, puts up with us, has allowed us to be a small part of the community, has uh, welcomed us in. We're just so thankful to be around you, to benefit from your presence in our lives. And um, hopefully, hopefully we'll continue to build more bridges, more connections as we go forward. I'm thankful for you. Peace, y'all. What's up, guys? My name is Kay Vermeil. I am the full-time podcast and video editor here at Bloodstream Media and Believe Limited. And this year, I am thankful that I found the Believe Limited team. 
I joined the team in March, and ever since, I've been able to work on a bunch of really cool projects that affect people all over the world, and it's been a real joy, and I'm very excited to do it again next year. Hey, Bloodstream listeners, it's Keith, the producer for the Bloodstream podcast. I am most thankful for the love and support of my family, my wife, my two kids, and the fact that hockey season is back. Go Kings! Hi, this is Effie Parks, host of the Once Upon a Gene podcast, and I am most thankful for all of you who show up every day to be a listener, a companion, an advocate. You make a difference for your family, for my family, and for all of the other rare disease families whom you haven't even met. There's so much deep love and unshakable generosity among this community, and it's been one of the honors of my life to experience it. Hey, this is Josh from Let's Talk, and I am grateful for holiday movies. I love just the vast array of Hollywood films that are out to watch for the holiday season. New ones, old ones, horror movies, uh, happy movies, children's movies. I just soak it all in, and I love every second of it. Hey there, this is James Maple, Bloodstream Correspondent, and I am most thankful for family health, and the ability to express myself in creative ways. Hey, this is Sean Bombsart, co-host of the Two Disabled Dudes podcast. And this year, considering all the chaos in our world and the roller coaster our economy is on, I am grateful for stable, fun, and reliable employment. Hey everyone, I'm Avra. I am the social media manager here at Bloodstream Media and Believe Limited and all the Believe places. Um, I'm actually very thankful for sitting in front of this mic right now thinking about podcasts, how great they are, how much they give me things to listen to and entertain me on drives, on walks with my six-pound dog who is sitting below me right now or walking around, but I wish she was sitting, and um, and entertainment and getting to be entertained when life is so questionable and the world around us is weird and ever changing in a weird way. Um, I'm glad we get to listen to fun things. Moving on to Let's Talk with Josh Bragg, this time the focus on dating and relationships. Spicy topic (laughs) and a segment that is once again made possible by Sanofi. Let's Talk is a partnership between Bloodstream Media and Sanofi, and it aims to create an environment where we can have open and honest conversations about mental health in the bleeding disorders community. Let's Talk strives to shed light on the topics that are often invisible and not spoken of in the community and shares tips on how to care for your or a loved one's mental health. If you or someone you know has experienced feelings that have impacted your mental health, talk to your healthcare provider and find educational resources at letstalkmh.com. Sanofi is proud to sponsor this podcast segment because they believe that each of us has a story. Visit shareyourwhy.com to meet the Sanofi core team and hear from each of them and members of the community about their story and passion for the hemophilia community. You know, Amy, just to break in real quick, I want to give a shout out to one of those core team members, Carrie Koenig. Mm. who works at Santa Fe, also yes. a community member. She was on site with us a couple weeks back when we did a Let's Talk screening for the Western Pennsylvania Bleeding Disorders Foundation Education Weekend, and she did a fantastic job holding the space, encouraging discussion, framing what Let's Talk and Santa Fe's relationship with us on all of that is about. So as a, as a friend and a colleague, I just wanted to give a special shout out to Carrie. Well done. Pleasure working with you. Shareyourwhy.com. And now on to this week's Let's Talk segment. 
I'm experiencing a little bit of end of the year burnout. I'm the type of person who likes to have a lot of kettles on the fire. I have an unhealthy obsession with progress. I don't know how to relax. Literally, Sunday morning, I'm up and at them at 6 a.m. just like any other day. I'm on the iPad or computer trying to get some writing done. I'm replying to comments on my TikTok and Instagram videos. It's go, go, go from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep. And if I'm not accomplishing something, then I start to pace around the house anxious. This type of frantic momentum stems from my early years as a young professional working freelance in New York City where I never knew when the next paycheck was going to come in or how I was going to pay for next month's rent. I lived that way for so long. It was all I knew. It was always say yes, always find a way and pack in as much work morning to night as I can until someday the checks would hopefully be bigger and more consistent. It was a lot of man up mentality. Keep your head down and do the work. Don't show weakness. Just keep going. Well, eventually I got my job here at Believe, which became my career, but the mentality never shifted for me. And there became two things I could rely on. My steady flow of paychecks and consistent work and that end-of-the-year burnout from all of the endless side projects and hobbies I try to cram into every nook and cranny of spare time. I've gotten better, and through therapy have identified the key to minimizing the collateral damage when it comes to this burnout. It's noticing the signs early on and talking about it to my wife the moment I see it coming. Because through disclosure, I'm able to share my panic, share my concerns and my fears and discomfort with my wife and my friends and make a plan to avoid a total crumbling of self that eventually feeds into my seasonal depression and leads to weeks of mental chaos on the couch, feeling worthless because I can't create or make progress. This addiction to forward momentum at all time, at all costs, is something that I am well aware needs addressing and drastic alteration in my life. But that's for me and my therapist to work on. No, today I want to focus on the other part, the part I'm actually getting good at, and that is the idea of disclosure and how that affects our relating and relationships. Let's talk. Growing up with my bleeding disorder, I I think, I mean, it's become like a, a badge of pride. This is the voice of Matthew, who was interviewed at HFA earlier this year. It's something I enjoy having now. When it was a curse, like, you know, as a child, I think one of the uh, big things when you're a kid, you get really dumb questions. I think, same thing, actually, uh, another great guy, uh, Max, who's at this convention also, he was recently, he was showing, he has a tattoo of hemophilia on his, uh, on his arm as a life alert thing, because he always loses his life alerts. And somebody at the gym was saying, oh, that's so mean, you shouldn't make fun of hemophiliacs like that. He goes, what are you talking about? You're covered in tattoos, obviously you can't be a hemophiliac. And you can't be like, you'd be like bedridden, and it's like, and it's hard to explain to people, like, you know, things have changed. Like, there is healthier ways of living. I don't, if I cut myself shaving, I don't die, which was the biggest thing they always say to hemophiliacs when you're growing up. Like, do you any kind of thing get injured, you're going to be, like, uh, wheelchair-bound, or uh, any injury would be incredibly severe. But, you know, as long as I've lived, again, like, if it's gone great. I've gotten a great community out of it. I've gotten a lot of good friends. And, uh, yeah, I think it's changed my life for the better in the long run. There was a point in my life where Rob, Patrick, and I were all single at the same time in New York City as we were building this company. 
Patrick was the only one with a bleeding disorder, but because Rob and I worked in this field with Patrick, we used to joke that all three of us always had the same first date where we had to explain what hemophilia was. And it very quickly became a routine. You you get used to spouting the same spiel each time you meet someone new, and you find ways to condense it each time so it becomes less and less information, only the essentials. To me, that always felt like the most refreshing of the disclosures, because it was just my field of work. I didn't feel the stress that Patrick may have felt of the information possibly impacting someone's decision to enter into a relationship or not, but I did have something to disclose along those lines. I was still married. Separated, sure. Barreling towards finalizing, absolutely. But nonetheless, still married. And that was a tough one. I had gotten back on the market, as they say, in order to gain some confidence back for myself. The divorce at the time was not mutual. In fact, it was very much a shock to the system that stripped away a lot of my credence and all that I understood to be right in the world. Food tasted different, video games were less fun, and communicating with other humans was painful, to say the least. Because there was this looming thing clinging on my back, the unbearable weight of a failed marriage, and all that said about me as a man. The first thing my dad said to me when I disclosed the divorce was that marriage is a two-way street and that I was equally at fault for the way that it turned out. That one stung. I can't say he was entirely wrong, though. I was blissfully unaware of the ongoing affair that was happening right in front of my trusting eyes. The family friend, the coach, the personal trainer, always around, always taking extra time at the end of the roller derby practice. I didn't want to think it was possible. So, in a way, maybe I let it happen. But I think, to be fair, if it was going to happen, it was going to happen. Like, how could you possibly convince someone otherwise when things are already in motion? I don't often take time to think about this anymore. In fact, it feels like a totally different lifetime altogether. Almost like it never happened at all. So, anyway, after a handful of terrible first dates, I found myself talking to Courtney online. We hit it off in a way that I immediately knew was going somewhere, and so I did what any nervous young man would do. I immediately got to work deleting all of my Instagram posts with the ex all the way back to the wedding. Everybody's a bit of a snoop, as you should be when it comes to meeting someone new, especially when there's potential for an intimate relationship. And I guess I figured in my subconscious panic that if she couldn't find the photos, then maybe, just maybe... I could keep her around long enough that we could build something together that would transcend my marital status and buy me time to explain the revolting details at a time of my choosing. Well, Courtney's much smarter than I am. And so after two weeks of talking on the brink of us meeting in person, I got a text message that said, I have a question and it's a little bit personal. And in that moment, I made the decision that I was never going to lie to her. That lying leads to so much wasted time. Time explaining, time rectifying, time spent wondering, suffering, losing trust. No, whatever happens, happens, but I won't waste any more time hiding the truth. So I told her, I'm an open book. And I got the message back. So, dot, 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 you've been married? Question mark. That very same uh, NHF meeting in 1994 is when I met my wife. This is the voice of Dwayne, who was interviewed at HFA earlier this year about relating and relationships. All the boys were hanging out, having a great time, and everything had sort of shut down. And there was this little bar inside the hotel that was still open, and they were playing music. And we walked into the bar, and I saw this woman, and I said to my friends, I said, I'm going to go ask that woman to dance. And of course, your friends are like, yeah, man, go ask her to dance. And so I walked up to her, and I said, hi, my name's Dwayne. I'm an HIV-positive hemophiliac. Would you like to dance? 
And she said, my name is Christina. I'm the mom of two HIV positive hemophiliacs and I would love to dance. And that's how I met my wife. So yeah, she was there to chip away at the armor and the sharp edges and all of that kind of stuff. The moment had come far too quickly. I wasn't ready, but that was out of my control now. I spent the next 15 minutes typing out a very honest but succinct reply that laid out the situation clearly, briefly apologized for not disclosing it earlier, and thanked Courtney for her time we spent messaging the past few weeks. And I said that if she needed to step away from this, I completely understood. I waited. The text bubbles popped up and went away, popped up and went away again. And eventually I got back one simple sentence. I was just curious. Whew. <laughs> she had every right to walk away right then and there. And I would have completely understood. Every person has a right to choose what is and what isn't too much for them to get involved with. No one walks this earth without some sort of baggage. And I think being in a relationship in part involves an agreement to take turns helping to carry that baggage and working to sort through it and get rid of what you can. Courtney and I met up that weekend for the first time and really hit it off. Not long after, we were dating exclusively, and when I got my offer to join Believe full-time in L.A., well, we figured it out and moved in together on the opposite side of the country. Now I'm proud to call Courtney my wife, my soulmate, and my best friend. We built our lives together on a foundation of trust and disclosure, and we're solid as a rock. We're not perfect, Pobody's nerfect, but we put in the effort to be as open as we can be, and now when I feel that end-of-the-year destruction raging inside of me, I just turn to Courtney and say, hey, I'm having a hard time. And we talk about it. Everybody is different. Some things are harder to disclose than others, and not everything always works out like it did for me. I went through a lot of rejection before I met Courtney, and we fought hard for each other as we unpacked our individual baggage over the years. Relationships take constant work. And it does take both partners to ensure that they stay steady, whether they be friendships, partnerships, work relationships, or family. Thank you to Matthew and Dwayne for sharing today. And thank you to Amy and Patrick for giving me a space to talk about these things. Talking can be so healing. If you're on your own mental health journey and are looking for some information, check out letstalkmh.com and click resources. Next episode, Jessica will dive deeper into the well as she explores the idea of relating and relationships in her segment. And as for me, well, let's talk next month. Reminder to check out letstalkmh.com or click on the Let's Talk banner on the Bloodstream podcast page on bloodstreammedia.com for more. Thank you, Sanofi, for your partnership on all things Let's Talk. Also want to thank Takeda, the founding and ongoing sponsor of the Bloodstream podcast. Thanks, Takeda. And thank you to everybody from the Bloodstream Media World, the Believe Limited team, who submitted a gratitude for today's episode. We appreciate all of you. We could not make these shows happen without all of you. Thank you for being a part of this team. Amy Board, we are back on December 9th, I think it is. I Two Fridays so. from now, something like that. And what can the listeners expect to hear on the second to last episode of 2022? Second to last episode. Penultimate. Woo! Oh, that. There's always something happening on the penultimate. I know. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, it's always oh. episode nine mm -hmm. that will do you in. We have a phenomenal guest. Community legend Michelle Rice is going to be with us. Yes, she is. And you took that interview. Yes, I can't I did. wait to hear. 
Yeah, Michelle Rice has a rich, if you don't know Michelle Rice, she has a rich history in our community. She's someone with mild hemophilia. She's a parent of adult children with severe hemophilia. And she has spent most of her professional career working in advocacy in various ways. We get into all of that. She also kind of fell off the map a little bit toward the end of last year. And then there were, as I said to her in the interview, I was like, I was like, where's Michelle? What happened to Michelle? Where's Michelle? And I frankly didn't have answers to that. So I asked her those questions and she answers them. You'll hear that next week, December 9th. So if you're not already subscribed, Hit that. Hit that subscribe. Hit it. That hit, was so... Hit the subscribe and make sure that you listen to the episode on December 9th with Michelle Rice. I'm grateful for that hit the subscribe bit. <laughs> Thank you. I, thanks for tagging that in there. Uh, all right. And with that, that is all for this episode. Reminder, one more time, to subscribe to the Bloodstream Podcast wherever you listen. And share this episode. Tell people about the Bloodstream Podcast. Word of mouth us, would you please? And give us a shout out if there's anything that you would like to hear, topics, guests, or anything you would just like Amy and I to be aware of, mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. You can also use mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com to inquire about storytelling or casting opportunities for Bloodstream's podcasts or Believe Limited's films. We're Mm -hmm. always casting Mm -hmm. something. We're always looking for a personal story in the bleeding disorder or rare disease community. That's true. And you can connect with us either Bloodstream Media or myself or Patrick on social media. I am your host Patrick James Lynch. And I am your other host Amy Board. And until next time take self-care of yourself. Bye everybody. Bye-bye.